Uh, that was the last time I seen Dwayne in living form. It was about an hour later he took his life. I'm sort of thanking Dwayne for my, my existence as well because I saw the real straight up effect that that had on so many people. It was two options for me, you know, do something about it or I'll end up in the same place. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. <laughs> it's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realized it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, guys. Welcome to Almost 30. It is Lindsay Simsek and Krista Williams, and we're coming to you from Los Angeles, mm-hmm. as always. I'm in Lindsay's apartment. It smells like salami. Does it? Yeah. Have you eaten meat? Really? No. It's like a good... It's like good. Oh, I haven't eaten meat today. Like Chloe would like it. Wait, oh. <laughs> Salami? Chloe loves charcuterie Maybe it's, boards. Is it my trash? That's really weird. I mean, I have that candle going for a while now. Maybe it's a salami It's candle. not helping? No, it smells good. I just was like... Are you saying that I've had like penis in here or something? Is that no, like... Okay. No. Okay. I just think that there was... I think you're eating meat a lot and you're hiding it from me. Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> How's everyone doing? Uh, we're, we're... So glad you're here, guys. Literally. For coming. So glad. This We've, is an important episode, so... Really important. Yeah. So we're excited to um, bring the messages that we're going to talk about in this podcast to light and talk about something that's really relevant and important. Yeah, unfortunately, really relevant. Um, In the news lately, about a week and a half ago, the news broke that Kate Spade, as well as Anthony Bourdain, um, committed suicide. And, you know, everyone was shocked, but, you know, so many people are silently in so much pain and thinking that ending their life is uh, the only way to stop that pain. And I just, yeah, it's... I don't know what that feels like. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't speak to it. And I don't even want to say that like I can't imagine because that seems really mm-hmm. like something anyone would say, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I struggle to even speak on it. And I think we talk about it. So um, in this podcast episode, we have a guest on Sam Webb that started. Uh, he started livein.org. Um, Livin is an organization started after one of his best friends committed suicide and he was with him the night that it happened. And um, he tells the story on the podcast, so I'll, we'll save it for, for the podcast. But he has really championed this space so that people feel uh, comfortable talking about you know any mental health issues, any emotions that seem so overwhelming, they cannot cope with it on their own. Um, so their their whole hashtag uh, slogan mission is it eight week to speak and uh, just making it cool to talk about mental health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just so interesting that, 
you know, we're on tour now for the podcast, which has been such a gift and so much fun. But there are moments like when we're up there and and we're in front of all of these women and they're sharing so vulnerably and openly in front of complete strangers Mm -hmm. that like you can't help but feel like this collective healing, you know? So it's just, it, it just reminds me too that like, speaking and being open, no matter how dark it is, no matter how sad or maybe weird I feel, it's always best to share, you know, because we're all just so human. And I think the more that we remind ourselves of that, the less alone we'll feel. So we're really excited to bring Sam's energy to you. He's a light. He's doing so much good in the world. And, you know, we just met him when we interviewed him, but like just so proud of him mm-hmm. for what he's done and and how he turned that tragedy into a mission in um, his friend's name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and on the point of you know the tour and kind of connecting with women um, and the authenticity and vulnerability, I would say I guess related to suicide and suicide prevention that um, your presence and your listening and caring ear and encouragement of finding help could change someone's life. So, you know, just taking things seriously when people say them, you know, if they are coming from a place where they do want to take their life, taking that seriously and encouraging and holding them and encouraging them to get help could change someone's life. So yeah, that's what I'll say on that. And if you or anyone you know are having thoughts of suicide, um, there's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K, or you can go to speakingofsuicide.com slash resources for a list of additional resources and also live in livin.org and Sam will, will explain all about it. Uh, thank you guys for listening. As always, um, this community means so much to us. Um, Join our secret Facebook group. It's really supportive space Mm -hmm. um, to share and be open and vulnerable and to seek support and love and encouragement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're waiting for you in the Facebook group. So can't wait to talk to you more and enjoy this episode. Um, We will see you and the outro. Love you. Love you. I can't believe it. It's so cheap. I wonder why everyone loves a drink over here. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah, it's so true. Do you think people like to drink here more than Australia? No, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> what makes, why are Australians so like YOLO? You guys literally are so like, like just do everything. You guys are so adventurous. Yeah. What is that? Where do you guys get I, that mentality? I just, it's, I, I wouldn't have the answer. I just think it's just part of a cultural mm. shift for us. Yeah. You guys, one, one thing I've noticed, and I used to date a girl here in the US for five years. I lived over here. Oh, wow. And um, one thing I noticed when I first come over and lived here is Americans don't like traveling. They don't like really traveling. Most Americans don't, like they call traveling going to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Like I've been to 40, almost Florida. 40 states here in, Australia, in America and people like I haven't been to none of them. And don't get me wrong, I don't go over in Australia, but like we always make holidays and vacation mm-hmm. like top priority for us. Mm. Europe, Bali, America. Whereas when I've come over here, people, yeah, the mentality is very different. I yeah, find. like you guys travel. I don't think you guys care about stuff as much. No. Nah. 
like, you know, I think here people maybe don't travel to save money to like get a bigger house or a better car. Like you guys have a priority of experiences over things. Mm. I don't know where that comes from. Yeah, I don't, I don't have the answer for that. I wish I did, but it's definitely just ingrained, I think, into mm. the culture. Yeah. And I, I think it's good, but each to their own. I mean, maybe too much holidaying and not caring isn't ideal either. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But everyone's different. I, I, I make, you know, holiday time. Okay. Personal time, yeah, it, like top priority on on my calendar. Just because you need to look after yourself before you look after anyone else, yeah. And especially in the field of mental health, like we're dealing with people's lives daily. And if you're not giving the right advice, it's probably because you're not doing well yourself. So if you're a hundred percent and you feel on top of your game, you can give the best advice. You can look after other people a lot easier. Mm. And holidays is part of myself, my self care strategy. Mm-hmm. Hence, hence, Playa del Carmen, Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, it was a long time ago, probably over a year ago. um, A friend of mine uh, had heard you speak here in LA and uh, she like ran to me and was like, you have to have Sam on the podcast. Uh, My friend, Sarah, who's a writer at SoulCycle. So shout out, Sarah. And so, you know, it's a very important conversation that we really haven't um, gone deeply into on the podcast. Um, so we're so happy you're here. Sam Webb's here from Live In. Um, very grateful. Thank you very, yeah, you. We're very so much for having me. You. So, you know, it's not an easy conversation to have, but I think that's kind of the point. You know, these like not easy conversations are ones that, and this is partly what our podcast is based on, is just having these open, honest conversations so that people don't feel alone. You know, they feel like they can reach out and be vulnerable and connect to hopefully um, experience more light and see the potential in themselves and their life ahead. So um, I know that it was tragedy that kind of brought you to starting Live In. So could you share that story with us? Yeah, absolutely. Live In started in 2013 after the death of a good friend in the name of Dwayne Lally. Uh, I was with Dwayne the night that he took his life and I was never... I never used to wake up going, I'm going to run a mental health organization. I've had mental, mental illness has been something that's run pretty rife through my family. And mm. I, and even still then, and having, having my own dealings and it, like, you know, challenges with mental health, mental health challenges, so to speak, I still didn't have the answers for everything. I thought I did. I thought I should have, you know, I th- if you've got something, you feel like you, you should have the answers to everything, but I didn't. And I don't think anyone ever has the answers to everything. And that's the most daunting thing about why and how this started. I mean, Dwayne opened up to me the night of September 15 of 2013 and I'll never forget it. I was definitely drinking. He was as well. And that night was probably one of the, you know, the funnest nights I've had in a very long, a long time. It was great. Like the, everyone was happy. Like any house party, you know, it was good. It was great fun. Great people were there. Good conversations. And Dwayne opened up to me that night and I didn't see it coming. I was caught off guard. Like he said, Webb, I need to tell you something. He called me into his room and I remember us having a, a proper DM for about 40 minutes and he said, I've tried to take my life twice before and I was so caught off guard. I didn't even know what to say. Mm. Like I thought I listened as best as I could. I thought I said everything that I, you know, could have said and tried to relate my own mental health challenges. It was kind of a a really special time to be honest because I was in a very dark place too. So it's like Dwayne, mm-hmm. Sam talking about mental illness and suicide under the influence mm. and we were both very open with each other 
And it was sort of like we we're both in a really dark place. And he never really knew about how I was feeling. And I, yeah. I knew that he was suffering with some form of mental illness, but never, never would have crossed my mind how serious that was. Because Dwayne, like most males do, they hide their pain so well. And the stigma kept him quiet. And he promised me, like, I promise you, Webb, if I'm ever in a bad place again, if I'm ever suicidal, mm-hmm. I'll definitely reach out to you. And uh, that was the last time I seen Dwayne in living form. It was about an hour later he took his life. Oh. So the ripple effect that that had on thousands of lives sort of you can't even put a number on it. And I'm sort of thanking Dwayne for my my existence as well because I saw the real straight-up effect that that had on so many people. And it was two options for me, you know, do something get bad or I'll end up in the same place. So... Yeah, we made a change and Casey, which is Dwayne's best mate, uh, who's the other half in the charity with m- myself, we started living and with the approval of Dwayne's parents, we, we got it off the ground and just it just one thing led to the next and we had a few shirts made up for Dwayne's um, wake with his face on it and living wasn't established then, but it, those shirts were like a great way for people to represent, you know, someone's life and we're thinking... Mm-hmm we've got to turn this into some sort of movement or just some sort of passion project. And a friend of mine did up a logo for us and we got living started with the arrow and it just, it just took off and it just spoke to so many people over something that was so simple. I think it, like in terms of the shirt, that was so simple. Mm. But starting something off something so tragic was, yeah, it's, look, I'd take back everything that we've done to this day to, to have Dwayne back, to have people in my family that I've lost to suicide back, but you can't do that. So we're just doing our best now to make a change and I wouldn't want it any other way. I mean, this is my life now and uh, as well as acting. So I've, I've got two passion, you know, passions of mine that I'm pursuing relentlessly and I won't give up until they're both successful. So, Wow. I um, am curious, like, kind of following what happened, like what was the conversation amongst like people your age who were kind of, like you said at the time you were partying and also dealing with some form of maybe depression. Like what was the conversation after that and how did it turn into uh, trying to shed a light on how we talk about mental illness, making it cool, you know, making, you know, the eight week to speak um, hashtag that's gone viral. Like, how did that come about? Yeah, absolutely. Good question. Uh, one of one of our friends actually came up with that mantra, and it's sort of like just stuck. Mm. It ain't weak it. to speak, and it was just sort of like one thing we identified after Dwayne's passing was this happens every single day. And as someone, Sam Webb, as someone that's had my own mental health challenges, I didn't know all about that. I just thought that this was part of my Sam Webb's life and this is just what I've been dealt with and I've just got to be able to manage it. I didn't realise that eight people a day in Australia take their own life and, and out of every, you know, three or four people that suffer with a diagnosable mental illness, you know, three, two or three people aren't seeking professional help and I was thinking, why is that? And a lot of the time is because the stigma keeps people quiet and most people can't really identify with themselves what they're feeling and what they're struggling um, so they blame on other things and we had to do something to make this area relatable. There's too many, organ- there's great organizations in America, all over the world, Australia, that are doing awesome work around, you know, smashing, you know, or get, sorry, getting the services there, so getting help and um, 
having funding here to put someone through a camp or a retreat or whatever else, but there was no one really out there speaking the language of a young adolescence, you know, 15 sort of 24-year-olds, for example, where it was relatable. It was very dark. Like we've, we've still got all these great organisations, but they're, they're not really that positive. Mm. Living's all about living. Like live your life, like have a great time. If you've got vulnerabilities, own that shit. Don't, don't shy away from your issues and problems because the more you do that, the bigger the problem's going to be. So we're all about owning your problems, speaking about how you truly feel because if you don't ask for help, you'll never know. And I was very wrong. I didn't ask for help for years because I didn't think anyone would understand or anyone could help me. And I was very wrong. Like the first time I asked for help, people actually do get it and there is help out there. There is help from all different angles. But when you're suffering with a mental illness, your brain thinks otherwise. It, it tries to convince you things that aren't true and you, you, you sometimes live in, in you know, silence and you live by yourself, taking on that struggle by yourself for yourself. And that's not what it's about. And everything that we do is around promoting the mantra, don't wait to speak, getting people to speak up, seek help, have fun, be cool doing it and, and you know, don't, don't regret anything. Like just have fun. Mm. Who was the first person you asked for help from? Uh, would have been my mum. Yeah, it would have been my mum. But it was probably probably more at the time. It was identified from my girlfriend at the time, and I didn't know. I thought it was a problem of mine. And I was sort of, I've had this for years, even before I had the, had the missus. And I was like, all right. So I reached out for help, and, and it wasn't easy. Like it, it wasn't just getting help, and I'm back on track, and I'm back to my best by any means. It takes a long time. You, you learn to manage it, and. You know, you might go to one doctor, for example, and like, what do I say to these people? I don't even know. So the hardest thing with a mental illness for someone that's struggling is if I, as a person that's struggling with it, can't explain how I'm feeling, how on earth is someone else going to get it? So it's almost humiliating. So if someone goes to Sam Webb, so talk to me. So how are you actually feeling? What do you feel? I don't know what I feel. That's humiliating because people expect you to have these answers. Mental illness and mental health is one area which sometimes there's never going to be an answer. And that's something that I've had to accept. Mm. And it's hard because you don't have the language sometimes to Mm. express exactly where you are and how you're feeling. And therefore you think it's invalid because you can't, you know, express it in that way. What do you think the gap is between like the clinical treatment and what you're doing? Like, you know, obviously you've said that you need both or you could use uh, both, whether it's medication, but what is that gap? Like what are, what is the clinical side missing in the treatment? It's a good, really good question. I, I, I don't know that it's, it's missing too much. I think it's just a lack of understanding for mm. people that are either suffering or helping someone that's suffering. Um, the, the, the gap is probably the, the framework where it all sits together, like the journey from identifying help, mm. getting help and the road to recovery. Right. Too many people are under the misunderstanding that you get diagnosed with a mental illness and it's as easy as taking a few pills or um, going for a run and being, you know, having a really simple health plan in place and you're back perfect. But it's about really setting those expectations. So, for example, if I tell someone, you know, and we motivate them and we inspire them via a living well session that we do at schools to seek help and speak up, they might go and get that help from a psychologist and that might, might have taken them five years right, to speak up and seek help. They might get to that psychologist and not have a fit. They might not get along with that person. So therefore, they're going to be like, well, the guys at Livin' or the people that run these organizations are saying that this is where you got to go if, you, if you're struggling. But if they can't help me, like 
no one can help me. This is my life's done. Mm-hmm. Like it gives them no hope at all. So you've got to really set those expectations and tell people the honest truth that it might not work the first time, the fifth time, the tenth time. It takes a lot of time. You know, it's like getting in a relationship with a girl or a dude. It's, you're not going to be in a relationship or have a friendship with someone if you don't have a connection. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. You're going to say thanks for your time, but no thank you and go somewhere else. And it's the same thing with therapy, same thing with mental illness. And what works for, for me and you girls might not work for no one else. So everyone's vastly different in this space. And I think it's the biggest gap is just setting those expectations. The work's there. The great organizations are there. It's now about linking them all together so people have a clear pathway to get help because a lot of people don't know where to get help. They just think that they have to deal with it themselves. Mm. When you're, you said it was your girlfriend that first noticed? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Mm. What would she say? Like, did she say you just start acting kind of off? Yeah, or, just like know? sort of just not being myself. And it's mm. like little little things would sort of like, irritate me mm. and it was like for me I think I was taking it out on people and and things and for me I used to try and keep really busy it was a way to just channel my my thinking so I used to always have to be doing something I couldn't wow. just relax in thought because it'd be ruminating on negative mm. emotions and stuff like that. that's why I've become so positive because I I have no other choice I've trained my brain for the best part of seven years to be like this and I wouldn't want it any other way. It's mm-hmm. power, yeah. you know. But, yeah, it, it would have been the change in behaviour would have been probably the major warning sign and probably uh, turning to, you know, substance abuse. Mm. Yeah, not that bad. Like yeah. I've never been an alcoholic or a drug addict or anything. But, yeah. like, just, yeah, probably Finding doing it more. Yeah, and I was at university at the time. so mm. I was, And there was other m- moments in my life that sort of probably – triggered it as well. I yeah. mean, I had to save a girl's life at 20 years of age. She gave her a CPR, she had to have a cardiac arrest. And I think that brought on a lot of PTSD for me, a lot of wow. like real, real bad anxieties, especially from a heart heart perspective. I'm a fit dude, but, mm-hmm. you know, there was times in my life where, you know, I was, I remember like breathing so fast, my heart was just going quick for, for no reason. I used to think, fuck, I'm about to have a heart attack. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm dying. Anxiety if that chick attack. at 20 can have one at school, I can have one at 25, you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. Did you, like, I want to talk about too with this, like, masculinity's role mm-hmm. and, like, like how that plays a part. Because I could imagine that, you know, your girlfriend's like, hey, you're acting kind of off or however she said it. And, you know, if you're kind of in that place, you're kind of like, I don't know, I could see being a little defensive and not really understanding. And, you know, your friend that took his life too, as a guy, it's kind of hard to explain how you feel. I don't think you guys have as big of a emotional vocabulary as we do. You know, we're spending our entire lives with our girlfriends kind of explaining how we feel during most of our lives. So, you know, maybe he was able to open up to you once he was drunk or whatever. But can you talk about that? Like being a male and having these emotions or the stigma that is around it with mental health? Yeah, definitely. I mean, males (laughs) tend to try and have the answers for everything. And Mm -hmm. as you said, you nailed it straight away. Females are very good at sharing their emotions, being honest, being open. And the thing with the with males is we, we try and have the answers ourselves because we should have the answers. That's how males are brought up. We're meant to, you know, solve problems. We're meant to be the bread run, you know, the breadwinners in the family. We're meant to be the hunters and gatherers. It goes back decades, hundreds of years. You know, like males are the the saviors. Like they shouldn't be out of cry. They shouldn't be weak. They shouldn't be 
you know, vulnerable. Like they're just going to tough it up. And that's how, and this goes back to, to for years. And I think it all changes from a, from a young age. I think the only way we can change that is changing the way parents, you know, interact mm-hmm. with their young kids because it, it, this all gets instilled in you by your subconscious, you know, four or five years of age. And if you're told at the young age, why are you crying? Why don't you, you know, your sister doesn't cry. Like you're going to wait, grow up and you'll be like, well, you know, that's all you know. You don't know mm-hmm. what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, absolutely. Well, the yeah. masculinity stuff mm-hmm. is just a shame and trying to have all the answers for everything and oh, I can do this myself. No, I can do this myself. So mm. yeah, and it, it can get channeled out in frustration, anger. I'm not an angry person by any means, mm. but some people, like a lot of people get diagnosed, especially males, they get diagnosed with like anger management problems and substance abuse, but their real underlying challenge is the mental illness Mm -hmm. but because they don't know how to explain the feelings and they don't know how to explain their emotions as good as females and and women do Mm. it's very challenging so we're talking people living in constant denial or silence for 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 their whole lives and it's it's hard it's hard work Mm -hmm. it's hard work but and i think there's there's so many different facets to this like mental illness is super complex Mm -hmm. I can't just sit here and say one, this is how it's felt and that's where it's come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing they ask you when you go to therapy, and I'm not sure if you guys have been, I mean, they always ask your childhood. That's the first thing they ask mm-hmm. is about, you know, what, what happened around childhood, anything traumatic and mm-hmm. because things happen and that's where it all starts from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so formative that like yeah. you were saying, what, like five, five, six, seven, eight, even around that time, I feel like seven is like super, super formative. I'm thinking of like my brother or other like male friends when we were younger, but can you speak to that time in your life? Like, I'm sure you have amazing parents, but Mm. were there some things that you can link back to kind of what you were dealing with in your early twenties? Like why that would make sense? Um, For me, I mean, nothing in particular, like I I don't think, well, again, in the subconscious, they probably would have a greater effect on me than I probably yeah. even realized to, to this day. My family uh, split up when I was seven. So that would have had a massive impact on my life uh, and my brothers and sisters. And there's no doubt in that, you know. Mm. How uh, old were you? Seven. Mm. And I, I don't know that that ever, like, yeah. again, I can't sit here and say that's got a reason because, again, there might be myriad of reasons. Totally. Uh, but, you know, my, I look back, my old man, my dad, he's very traditional. He's like, yeah. harden up, you'll be right. Didn't really understand, never really had a conversation around mental health. Whereas my mom, she's completely different. It's one of those things. I mean, there's so many different possibilities that could cater or could be the reasons what could contribute to having a possible mental health challenge or any yeah. challenges in your life. And everyone's very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for me, I mean, it was probably just a number of things. Like it's, it could be, you know, chemistry. A lot of my, people in my family have had mental mm. illness uh, mm. um, and they still do to this day. And I think the beauty of it is, once you accept it, I think accepting it and managing it and living with it, it's amazing. Like I never have a problem until these days. Like mm-hmm. I'm great. Mm-hmm. But like when I say I'm great, yeah, there's days where I'm super anxious. But that's – I wouldn't want it any other way because that creates creativity for me and creativity is – What you need. What I need yeah. and what I enjoy. Mm, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And everyone's got anxiety to some level. It's what's – it's what's helpful and what's unhelpful and what's counterproductive and productive. Mm-hmm. And it's, having an outlet. Mm. 
you know, is helpful yeah. for a lot of people that have anxiety, having an outlet for that anxiousness. Cause you know, it's like misdirected energy Yeah. sometimes. It's interesting too, like, so with substance abuse and then, um, you know, drinking and partying and drugs and stuff and the relation that it has with mental health, it's kind of like one starts and then you don't know where it, it ends. Do you know what I mean? Like, I remember when I did drugs, like a good amount, I would, you know, you have really like low lows. And so I would never knew, I'm like, you know, I've had history of mental health and anxiety in my life since I was like probably a cut child. But I always was like, what is it? The drugs? You know what I mean? Sometimes I'm like, is it because I'm like Sunday scaries? Is it because you're really hungover and you really need water and you really need sleep and you really need to nourish your body and you've been treating your body like shit so you feel like shit? You know, sometimes I'm, I just always like, what do you think about the relationship between substances and like your mental health or like being depressed. Yeah, absolutely. Correlation without a doubt. Mental uh, drinking, as you girls know, it's a depressant. Yeah. And it's so fun in the moment. Give me a drink and I'm all about having a good time. Don't get me wrong. But the next day, like I'm always paying the price for it. So I've got to mm -hmm. keep busy because mm -hmm. if I sit there, I'm anxious because that's just part of the alcohol coming off. I get, I suffer, like I say what it's called, anxiety. I don't get... My hangovers aren't feeling sick in the stomach. Like it's anxiety. Mm, me too. Yeah. yeah. And it's very yeah. common. And and that's just part of what I have to deal with when after I have certain drinks. Yeah. It might and it might not be all the time. And it might be certain things that have triggered it. Mm -hmm. But definitely drugs and alcohol have a, a negative part of me impact on your mental health, even for the even for the strongest minded mm. person. And I don't think anyone and no one has the answers, as I said earlier, to everything. Mm -hmm. No one knows everything about anything mm -hmm. and that is a, a, the honest truth. But I think with substances and, and everything else, it just, yeah, it makes, it clouds your judgment as well. Like you, a lot of people do things in the moment when they're under the influence that they wouldn't normally do. It 100%. gives you the Dutch courage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it gives you the I confidence. I always like see couples fighting. I'm like, you guys wouldn't be fighting right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, there's always a like girls crying on the corner on their phone. I'm like, you wouldn't be crying right now if you weren't Dude, wasted. The amount of times that I would like run away from a party and be like, you called me what? And yeah. just like ran and it would, but I would be depressed for like three days. Mm -hmm. Whereas we could have had a really productive- And then you look back and you're like, aren't you coming? <laughs> but it's like, it, we could have had a productive conversation if we had the tools Absolutely. and if we weren't drinking. Both of you had the yeah, tools. Yeah, and you just gotta, yeah, yeah and just uh, not take it out on, like I always say to myself again, I've trained my brain for years, but don't make big like life's changing decisions a day after you've been partying. Mm -hmm. Because your mind's so volatile. <laughs> yeah, your mind's so volatile. And your emotions are just not right. They're not they're not firing correctly. Yeah. They just never are. That's what I always think too. Sit like the sauna. When, whenever mm. I speak to friends or like I have people that I know that are feeling really low and feeling depressed, I always go with like, what's the first thing? Do you have enough water? Have you slept well? Have you eaten well? Have you, you know, taken time for yourself? Like kind of going through first the self-care checklist of like what makes you happy, what makes you feel grounded, what makes you feel whole. And then beyond that, you know, once you've checked that off and you're still feeling depressed or anxious or, you know, having mental health issues, it's kind of like going from there and then figuring out next best steps. But like half the time it's like, I remember 
you know, Justin, my boyfriend, he was feeling a, a little low like a few weeks ago. And boys, I don't know if he knew like really what to like attribute it to. Mm. And it was really like, he wasn't, I was like, oh, like when was the last time you played basketball? Like he's really good at basketball. He plays basketball all the time. And he's like, yeah, it's been a few weeks. I'm like, when was the last time you saw your friends? You know, it was like been a week or so. It's like kind of having him think through like, what have you done to like yeah. nurture and fuel yourself that you love to do? And it was like, and he was like, oh yeah, you're right. Like I haven't, done those things. So mm. oftentimes I try and like go there first before, you know, kind of like thinking as next steps, but you know, you need to figure out what works best for you, but that's what I find it works best. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. You got to have that self, you got to have like a management plan in place. Have mm -hmm. you guys played the Sims game before? Yeah. Back when you're young. Back like in the day. There's a social bar, right? Mm -hmm. And when that social bar gets to nothing. make them have sex. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do, do all sorts of good shit. But when that social bar gets to nothing, you don't exist. Because we mm. need, we need as human yeah. beings, we need to stay socially connected. Yeah. And the last thing that you want to do when you're in a bad place is see people. But when you I actually know. get up and go, I, I'm going to go do it, even though you hate it and you don't want to do it, you thank yourself after you go, I'm yeah. so glad I did it. Yeah, I'm so I'm, I'm so I'm sorry. I'm so glad. You touch your head. Yeah, you're like oh. trying, trying to cheer our me. Listeners we know, need like mitts. Our <laughs> listeners know that when people bang the table, they're passionate. So it's yeah. a good sign. Yeah, playing <laughs> so handsies under the table. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely you got to stay connected. You got to stay socially connected, but you got to have those plans in place. Uh, sleep deprivation, lack of sleep oh, is probably the major, most major. under un, like it's not spoken about enough because. Sleep is the most important thing that the human body needs to recover because it's when it fires. There's certain science behind this, but it's like when your endorphin levels and all that are replenished and everything else when, is when you're sleeping. Yeah. And if you don't sleep, yeah, yeah, it's not good. Yeah. yeah. Sleep it's is like so important. You just mess yourself up. What is your self-care routine? My self-care uh, care routine, as far as life, I probably don't have a… What kind of products are you using? <laughs> <laughs> Botox. <laughs> I'm smashing the… Um, oh, yeah. We got some wellness shots air, on the table. I, I need this right now. I'm so it's run good. down. Yeah, take it. So take right it. now, I'm a bit run down. So for everyone listening, yes, I'm run down. But um, <laughs> self-care is number one care. Yeah. It is absolutely number one care. And I, I never used to think that. I thought it was selfish looking after yourself mm. until… It would have been a couple of years ago when we were getting really deep into living and I finally committed to it as a full-time job. And I, was, I, was, I wasn't burnt out. I wouldn't say I was burnt out, but I was, I was getting maybe a bit of compassion fatigue, maybe a little bit of, uh, yeah, it's was a bit tired. Mm. And it wasn't that I wasn't interested. It was just oh, like- compassion a, fatigue. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Like you're hearing people all day yeah. and you're kind of just like- Getting sensitized to it. Oh, and I was just like, yeah. and I was just like, I've got to- I've got to really take care of myself now. Like, because mm. if I don't take care of myself, I'm not going to last in this job and the job mm. needs me. This this needs me. This is like, it needs me. As far, as, there's no if, buts or maybe. So I was like, all right, self-care is number one care. Exercise for me is I've always exercised my whole life. I've been in sport, um, exercise, doing the things I love. So a lot of my life was doing things for other people. Now it's all about doing it for me. I do acting because I want to do it. I want to mm -hmm. be an actor and that's what I'm, pa I'm passionate about. If I don't do, if I'm not uh, currently working, I'll be in classes. I'll meet people, I'll talk, I'll, I'll work on my craft and that's what excites me and that's what creates my energy and it gets my creativity going and everything else. You know, walking. I, uh, 
I listen to a lot of music. I read. So at night, I don't have my mobile phone, never sleeps next to my bed. It's not even in my room. It has this trip Same. just because I'm on holidays. But at home, my phone gets charged outside of my room. I don't have a TV in my room simply because I just, I get sidetracked and I read. I read every night before I get to bed, even if it's two or three pages because I'm a slow reader. I'm like a snail. I love that. <laughs> but like when I read, like I fall You're asleep. Like the I do. dog jumps yeah. over. <laughs> and, then, and then sleep time. Yeah. And then like it takes me about six months to read a book. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah. But it does. And I'm like, but I'm happy with that because that's me. Some yeah. people can read quick. Good for you. I'm me. Yeah, you're um, absorbing it. Yeah, reading's good, but also spending time with family like and friends, the people that are meaningful to you and help you be a better mm. person. You become like the five people you spend most of your time with and that's, that's a fact and you've got to socialise with positive people, people that reinforce, you know, the positive things about life and that sort of stuff. But, you know, I just wipe negative people anyway, so it's fine. Mm. Mm, yeah, Probably it. What have you had to, what has it been like to do this type of work for you personally in your relationships with other people? Has it enhanced your relationships with them? Has it, you know, have they kind of been enlightened and educated and and come out and tried to speak to you more about this stuff? And on the other end, have people maybe shied away and been uncomfortable and kind of distanced themselves? Yeah, this is one thing. I feel like, I, and again, I'll never know everything 100%. I'm, all, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a forever a life student and that's the way mm. I, I like to look at life. I feel like my emotional intelligence has increased out of nowhere. Uh, I'm, I'm very able to better understand how people feel and how they're, they're coping and I, I feel like I'm, I'm better equipped with the tools to be able to help someone and help myself. And I think the most important thing is you know, with, you know, relationships and, and friends is like a lot of people have opened up to me since I've started mm-hmm. living and they're like say things that are extremely, you know, humbling and I'm grateful that they've been able to open up to me and these are some of my closest friends, which is great, you know. A lot more trust there, mm-hmm. which is I think probably the most important thing when it comes to telling someone how you feel. If you don't trust them, you're not going to tell them. Yeah. Trust Does it get everyone. hard? Sometimes hearing that Every, all the time. Everyone asks me the same thing. Like, surely it feels hard. And it, it, look, it, for me, I've got good boundaries. Uh-huh. I have a, like, a, like I'm lucky. Like I have a good life. Uh-huh. I'm very grateful. Uh-huh. And life for me, a good life doesn't look about having things. It's about having people in my life. I've got a great team and that helps me get to where I am today. I would not be where I am if I didn't have the people in my corner supporting me, helping me because I'm not perfect. I'm always having bad – I always have bad days. But my bad days isn't like a bad day. Like I, I, I change my perspectives on everything. Like when I'm having a bad day, yeah, my struggle is my struggle and I understand that. But there's other people that are doing it a hell of a lot harder than I am. Mm-hmm. So I look at different perspectives on things. It's really hard dealing with these stories every day but I think the most important thing is boundaries. And I've committed – to this. This is what I've committed to. So mm-hmm. I have to, this is just what I'm doing now. Yeah. Mm. So I'll, and this all comes back to self-care. If you don't have self-care in place, you're not going to be best equipped mm-hmm. to deal with these stories all the time. Mm-hmm. It's going to take its toll on you. It's going to create negativity. But for me, there's always, there's, while there is not always an answer, there's always, you know, good conversation points around this and you, there's a lot to learn. So for someone that's struggling, they open up to me, it's, it's great just giving them my feedback and I'm not a doctor, but just giving them a few pointers that maybe have worked for me and 
a thousand of the other people that I've spoken with over the time mm. can help people in more ways than one. Mm. The smallest problem to me right now might be insurmountable to one of you girls. You know, and that's how we need to understand life. Yeah, I'm very grateful. I'm grateful for that because not everyone's cut out for this work and I'll be straight down the line saying that. Mm-hmm. This is not for everyone. Uh, what we do, not everyone could do. And I'm, <clears throat> and I'm not saying that from a higher status because I'm not. I just think that this is not, not something that everyone can be doing. It's tough. It mm-hmm. is very tough emotionally, physically, everything else. But I think if you've just got the right measures and team in place and the passion behind everything that I do is just relentless. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just driving me every day. So I just, yeah, I won't give up. Why? Yeah, yeah, the why. And that's the <laughs> most important thing in life. Why do you do you do? If you're in film, TV, if it's something completely different, if you work at a grocery store, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. as long as you're, you're happy with your why. Mm-hmm. And it can take someone their whole life to find their, their why. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm grateful that I found my why but I'm equally, equally a bit upset obviously that I found my why through something that is so bad, like tragic, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm very grateful. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I was jumping from job to job before this. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I was in finance and I worked in media and then I worked in finance and I was wow. in sales and then I was in media and then I hated what I did. Hated it. Wow. Good at it but hated it. Mm. Not yeah. driving me. It wasn't fulfilling. Right. And then this happened and then my whole life just changed. Were you really depressed when you were doing those jobs? Yeah, I wasn't, wasn't happy at all, like crushing it in terms of hitting sales figures. Really good at my job when I worked here in America. I worked in a private equity firm and mm. I was just, just wasn't enjoying it. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, it was a big part of, it added to my, my feeling of loneliness and all those other th- feelings. But yeah. Are you spiritual? Not really. Mm. Nah, not a lot. So I, don't, I haven't really, I haven't really uh, investigated that area mm. really at all. It's one area I think I'm very sheltered in. I think I need to learn a lot more. Really? Yeah. Do you believe, like, what, like, about death? Like, what do you believe? Do you believe that your friend is around ever, or like, do you feel him? Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes I do, and I believe mm. there's something out there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. But as far as looking into that deeply, I haven't really explored it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're kind of living it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You think about it. Um, yeah, that's true. You know, you're kind of living it right now. So what would you say to someone if they came to you and they were telling you, you know, that they feel really dark, they feel really depressed? Um, what kind of like advice would you give to them? For me, I mean, straight off the bat, um, again, everyone's very different. Listening is probably the most important thing. Mm-hmm. It's one thing I learned exponentially after Dwayne's passing. I I feel I listened that night, but I don't think I listened as much as I should have. Dwayne was asking for help and I didn't give him the help that he needed. Um, that's how I look at it. And listening non-judgmentally is probably the most important thing. If someone come to me right now and ask for help and they said they're in a dark place, I'd, I'd simply just do as much listening as I could, but also identifying the imminent risk if they're, if they're in a crisis, obviously is so important. One thing I did not ask Dwayne Lally the night of September 15 of 2013, it's, I share this every time I speak, is I did not ask him if he was suicidal that night. And although he said that he was in the past and he was feeling great now, I didn't ask him that direct question. And you need to ask that direct question if someone you feel is at risk. Mm. Because if you don't ask, you're not giving them permission to ask and tell you. Had I have asked Dwayne that night, he'd have been like, no one's ever asked me that. 
Oh, yeah. Maybe I'm, yeah, I do have a plan. You know, I've got a plan and I'm suicidal. Mm. Gives them permission to ask and it's a, that's one thing I would definitely change now moving forward mm. and I ask all the time and it creates so much better conversations. Mm. People are like, no, 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 like I'm, I haven't thought about mm. taking my life today. I'm not suicidal right now but I'm, I can see it going down a bit of a dark route. I'd, I'd you know, I'd identify, obviously I'm not a doctor, I'd let them know that. I'm not, I'm not a professional, I'm very clear on that. But I'd also say, look, have you asked, have you told anyone else how you're feeling? Does your, does your immediate family, is any of your best friends know? A lot of the time, probably not. Mm-hmm. Simply because that most people like to keep things at an arm's length distance because they feel like if I tell someone who, too close to me, it's like it's intrusive mm-hmm. and they'll judge me. It's just this first instinct that will come to mind. Mm-hmm. They don't know that. That's just what their mind tells them. But when you actually do it, you're, you're really wrong. Mm. Um, I'd, I'd ask, uh, have they obviously seen anyone else, spoken to anyone else, if they're a student, if they um, spoke to a counsellor at school, I'd offer other supports. So I'd be like, have you, have you, had a, you, know, have you thought about reaching out to a psychologist? Have you mm. thought about maybe having a conversation with someone that you trust at school or a friend, if this is your friend? Mm-hmm. Is there a certain place in the schoolyard or in the workplace that you feel comfortable to be able to share with me this? Because a lot of the time people have a safe haven. It's like a sanctuary where they feel more comfortable to, to open up to you. So identify that. Would it make you feel more comfortable if I was to come with you and make that doctor appointment together? Would it make you feel more comfortable if I sat in the waiting room? Because sure as hell, most times it will. It's super fucking daunting sitting in a doc, like a psychologist's office and just not, not sure what you're doing. Sure. Mm. If I offer to go with you and I'm your good friend, would it make you feel more comfortable? Probably. Checking in on someone I think is so important. Mm-hmm. The amount of times I just drop a message to somebody who I know is pretty vulnerable and they're probably always vulnerable and just say, how are you? I hope you're well. Just a message like that can change someone's life. And you might, the amount of times I've done that in situations where people have been on the cusp of taking their own life and they've got my message and they've just said, oh my God, like, did you know that something was up or, you know, Mm. it's just, it it blows my mind. Mm. The smallest thing to you as a gesture could save someone's life. Uh, don't feel like you need the answers. So for anyone listening here, don't feel like you need to search for all the answers. If you're trying to give someone help and you don't have the answers, that's okay. Be honest. Mm-hmm. Look, I don't have the answers right now, but maybe we can find the answers together. You know, honesty is everything and don't try and solve the problem. Everyone, mm. everyone tries to one. solve yeah. the problem. Mm, it, yeah. it, you're not going to solve the problem. It, it, that's the thing. You won't solve the problem. You can help someone with the problem, but you won't solve it for them. Mm. You've just got to be able to be honest with them up front. What are you doing in schools? Like what does that program look like? Program looks like it's a 45, it's around a 45 minutes, so like one period of class. Uh, we aim in at grade sevens through to grade 12s. We've spoken over 100 schools last year. We'll probably hope. Like yeah. Those years are hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are really hard. Yeah. And then we, we'll speak at probably 200 Upwards schools this year. We've spoke wow. to over 40,000 young people uh, since inception. I think there's probably a lot more, but that's just what we've documented. And that program is really around stigma reduction. So making, shining a positive, cool light on mental health. Like let's have a conversation about it. Let's make it mm. cool. Get cool speakers up there that are relatable, mm. that people can have cut through and they can hear and speak to. But really it's around giving people the basic tools, understandings around to seek help how to identify if I'm in a bad place, warning mm. signs, symptoms, what I wouldn't say to my friend 
I wouldn't tell you to harden up, get the fuck over it. That's the worst thing you can say to someone that might be struggling. Uh, where to get professional help from and how to actually ask for help. A lot of people, and we, we promote the message, it ain't weak to speak, right? But it's asking for help is an art. You can't just say, I need help. It's because if you don't know how to articulate it, what are you asking for? So having those conversations, skills. So it's skills-based training around having those conversations. Mm. But it's more on a very non-clinical perspective, even though the material is clinically backed and it's evidence-based, which is awesome. We, we say it from a cooler sort of you angle. You wear like V-necks. Yeah. In your cool shoes. Yeah. We're, like, we're, yeah, we're, we're cool. It's cool. We're the Adidas's. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and I think it's just being honest and just having fun and just, yeah, when I speak, I'm very open and honest with people. Like I just tell them how it is. Like no one in this class or no one in this workplace will ever know everything about anything. So if you think you do, see you later. Mm-hmm. Like you just be honest. Mm-hmm. And it puts people back in their place and they're like, well, shit, he's right. Like he's vulnerable. You, you be vulnerable, you're giving other people opportunity to be vulnerable and that's powerful. Mm-hmm. And if you're really closed off in life, even relationships, whatever it is, you're not going to get to that core and you need to get pe- people's core. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's been the response? Yeah, super positive. Mm. Yeah, game-changing, life-saving. Um, what do kids say? Ah, just like I've had, yeah, many, many different stories. Like uh, listen, I, you know, I remember one thing you said, you, you, you know, completely opened up my mind. I was suicidal before coming to this session today and, you know, I was able to go home and speak to my mum, you know, speak to my family for the first time in, in forever. Like I've been dealing with this for years and you guys gave me the confidence to speak up and seek help. Mm. And that's just, one, that's just one story. But while there's a lot of positive stories, we get a lot of, we still lose people. A lot of people still take their life. You know, I've had people wear living stuff that have taken their life. So it's like this is a very hard thing. And one, one thing I was really wrong about when I first started living was, you know, we're going to fix and change the world. We're going to yeah. save everyone's life. And I don't like the word can't, but saving everyone's life isn't realistic. It's mm-hmm. not realistic. And I, um, yeah, I was super, super, yeah, when I, when I, when I accepted that, my, it's made what I do for work a lot more, a lot more uh, easier because perfection is a, an illusion. Perfection isn't, doesn't exist. Imperfection is perfection. And we'll save a lot of lives. We, we will to this day, but I don't, I don't think anyone can save everyone's life because there's some things that are going to be out of our control. You know, 2 a.m. in the morning if someone's in a bad place and they can't reach out for help mm. and we're not there or someone's not there for them. I can't, I can't just bring a magic wand and send a, you know, an angel to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. What would you say to people who have experienced loss, who have lost someone to suicide? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is to know that, you know, it's not your fault. You only knew the information, and this is a famous saying Louise Hayes said, you only knew the information that you knew in the moment of time given the information that you had. And there is nothing that you could have done mm. better or worse, or whatever that is in that moment. And after the fact, you'll beat yourself up and it's probably my fault. I do it too. But it's not your fault. You haven't done anything wrong. You've done the best that you could do. And you need to reach out for help too because if you've lost someone to to suicide, you become six times more likely to take your own life. Mm. And the amount of people that have taken their own life after losing Dwayne blows my mind as well. And it's just, um, yeah, you've you've got to reach out for help. 
and give yourself that permission because it's a it's a all deaths are very not good like they're they're mm. absolutely critical but a death by suicide no one ever told me that you know every time my phone rang or I had a missed call from someone maybe a couple of missed calls that I'd be on my on on edge thinking fuck has someone done mm. it again or what's yeah. going on you know like they never told me that okay and every time that happens, you, you're constantly reminded of that night for me personally. And it's like, shit, is it going to happen again? And so you just got to gotta look after yourself. Uh, you got to reach out for help and just know that everyone says it. You're not alone, but you fucking feel alone in the moment. You feel alone. And everyone says you're not alone and you're not alone. You're in, other people are in this. In the moment, you're going to feel fucking real alone, really alone. Honestly, just know that that's part of a mental health challenge. Mm. And in three months from now or whether it's six months from now, you might be in a whole different place physically and mentally and you'll look back and you'll be like, I am so glad that I'm living. Like I'm so glad that I'm alive. I'm so glad that I didn't make that choice uh, because the amount of people that I've spoke to that have attempted suicide, that have regretted it, you know, and luckily they've lived, it's, it just speaks volumes. And that's something that I sort of have to live with every day for Dwayne. I mean, yes, he took his own life, but did he really mean it? And if there was someone there that would have gave him help when he was doing it, maybe he was trying to save himself and he couldn't. And it's, it's sad. A lot of people aren't trying to end their life. They're just trying to end the pain. And a good story to just probably sum this all up for anyone that's been suicidal and I can – this story really sums it up well for me. Is think of 9-11, for example. It's a very, very dark mm. uh, story in American history and for the world. Think of the people that were on the 90th, 100th, 105th floor, were covered in a room of smoke and flames and so hot and unbearable, they couldn't see in that room. But all they knew how to escape that pain was to break a window and jump, not knowing that that free fall would have killed them. Um, that's very similar to what mental illness is. You, you're trying to get rid of that pain right then and there, but you don't know that what you're doing is going to kill you. You just want to stop it. And it's an mm. impulsive choice that people are making every single day mm. and it can be stopped. Yeah, what is the, what is the, sometimes I think about, you know, if I'm talking to someone who is feeling low, do you speak to, the perspective and the long-term kind of zooming out from the situation or do you speak to just like taking it day by day? You know, I don't know. I don't know what is more effective. You know, I think, I don't know if it's both, mm. but I don't know what's more overwhelming. Yeah, I think, I think you want to make it less overwhelming. Uh, ho- hope equals survival, right? Someone that doesn't have any hope doesn't see life. Yeah. So if you can create more hope for someone, which is in a lot of sense more options, it's going to give someone more chance of wanting to live, right? Because they're going to see more hope. Oh, I could possibly do that. Or oh, I could possibly go there. Or oh, mm. that could be right. There's more, there's more opportunities, so to speak. You don't want to overwhelm someone too much though and, and look at all these projects in three months, six months' time. Day by day, I think looking at the present is probably most important. Yeah. And it's a famous saying that Alatunde or whatever his name was, did it. It was like yesterday's history, tomorrow's a mystery, mm-hmm. and today's a gift. That's why we call it the present. And it's like 
it's really important just to ascertain the right now because tomorrow is not guaranteed for anyone. And in the moment, yeah, you've got to create options for someone that might be struggling and you've got to give them hope. But just being there for them and I think is really important. You don't even have to, you don't even have to say something. You don't have to speak. Just being there. Like, man, yeah. people are like, yeah, I got that off my shoulder. Like, I feel good now. Like, you don't, don't even worry about saying anything. Like, it's good. I felt something, you know. It's, it's a complex space though. Like, what works for, again, for one doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. A long-term plan might work for a lot of people. But for that one, it might be the worst thing you can tell them. Sure. Yeah, too the, overwhelming. The stakes are so high. So high. It's interesting too, like when you're talking about how to help, you know, like there's something to, I think it's something that we can all do for like um, a personal work and personal growth is just like presence when you listen. Like I can only imagine if I was like during low times, if someone was able to like presently, non-judgmentally listen to me. I mean, that's like everything. Yeah. You know, to be able to like speak your truth and be heard in a non-judgmental way is like the greatest gift. And to have, do you work with parents of yeah. kids that age? Because I think parents need the tools to be able to listen in a present they way. They just live at a low level absolutely. of depression all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the parents. Ours are, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The parents definitely, I think they're really important because they're the mm-hmm. ones that are spending most of the time with the kids if it's not the fam- uh, the, the schools, right? Yeah. It's a tough one though because a lot of parents don't want to touch, don't want to talk about this subject because they don't know how to handle it and they're scared yeah. of it. You know, yeah. they're scared of the unknown. I think but we do. Are, we do work with parents. Yeah. I think people are also scared of being really happy and risking the uncomfortable effort to be really happy. Like they don't believe that there is a possibility to be happy all the time. And so that they don't want to go for it to like figure it out. Like you said, it took you seven years to like train your brain to be positive. It's taken me years too. I can't remember. Maybe 2013 was when I really, 2012 was when I really started to like shift my mentality and change my brain structure. Like my actual brain, you change gray matter in your brain to like be positive. So it's like, it just takes so long, but it's possible. I think when there's, you know, feeling so deep in it, mm-hmm. it's hard to even look up. Well, it's and hard see if I was like when I was deep in it, whenever, yeah. and being like, "Hey, it's going to take you six years to change your brain," you know, like or two years or three years or whatever. It's like you're like, "Fuck that!" Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for us who have, you know, and, and it will be forever practicing. It'll be yes, forever training. Is. I look at the gym, right? Going to the gym, you, yeah. For example, even if you're cycling at Soul Cycle. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Soul Cycle. Um, <laughs> Next time you have to ride when you're in Yeah, town. I know. I was a bit, really, I was a bit lazy. Yeah, what the hell? Good. I would have smoked everyone in there anyway. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> Dudes always think that. Yeah. They're like, I'm going to crush soul. This is a race, right? <laughs> this is a competition, right? <laughs> but it's like you go to the gym to do push-ups, sit-ups, bench press, whatever it is, Soul Cycle. Mm-hmm. But you go there because for a number of different reasons and you keep going to the gym. Even if you are at your fittest peak physically, you still go to the gym. The same way we and I still promote, you go and go to the mind gym, the brain gym. The brain gym is like therapy, things that are good for your brain. Mm -hmm. I go 
now that I'm like, you know, I'm great, right, I'll always keep going. I'll train my brain every day because your brain is the most important thing and your body, and there's a saying, your body won't go where your mind doesn't go, right? So you've just got to, there's just not enough importance has been put on brain health for, for hundreds of years. But we're seeing it more and more, you know, front of the line right now, especially in schools and, you know, health curriculums and stuff like that, which is great. But we've still got a long way to go. But definitely look at the gym as in like lifting weights for your arms and your body, physical, the same way as, you know, going to speak to someone about your brain. Even if you're doing well right now and you're listening to this and you're like, oh, this doesn't relate to me, it does relate to you because – You've got to keep training your brain because there's going to be times in your life where you, you're going to get something that you're probably not going to be able to cope with properly. And you're going to, you're going to need to have that muscle there. And it's the same thing as rewiring your brain. Yeah. The grey matter in your brain actually changes. That's such a good analogy, I think, especially for men. Mm-hmm. Because I think yeah. they think it, therapy is a, something you go to for a finite amount of time. <laughs> You go 10 sessions. Yep, I'm good. You know, you kind of take that gratification of I'm feeling better. But to think about it like going to the gym or a sports practice or, you know, something like that mm-hmm. makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Imagine how, how much. The individuality piece of that. So with the gym and with fitness, not one workout works for everyone. Not one soul, soul cycle, you know, just doing soul cycle doesn't maybe not work for everyone, just whatever. You need to really figure out what workout, what diet is best for you. And that's the same with your mental health. You need to figure out what is best for you. What does that look like? Does it look like getting medication? Does it look like seeing someone? You know, what exactly does the remedy that best fits you and your mental state look like? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, when you're sharp between the ears and your brain is on point, your yeah. confidence is there, you're thinking right, you're, you're so resilient right. and all that stuff. Jeez, you're noisy. And then, um, <laughs> and then um, all that stuff, like how much better is your life? So good. Like so the good. gym and all that's good. And you've got to look like self-worth does not and self-confidence and all that does not happen in the mirror. It all happens from within. And if you're not happy from within, you're not going to ever be happy from without. So – Training your brain to think right and look at the positives and have different perspectives and, you know, being able to bounce back from tough situations and, and have an open mind. That's most important because yeah. if you're acing that, chances are your relationships with friends, loves, or whoever it is, jobs, it's just going to just be so much better. Mm. But people don't really understand that. And I think the more that it's just a, everyone's born ignorant, right? We're not born with mental health understanding. So therefore, we're going to now have to go back and start training people. Mm-hmm. Simple, but it's a hard, it's a it's a time thing. How can um, our listeners and beyond um, get involved with Livin? The, the listeners and beyond can get ro- really involved with Livin if they head to livin.org. Great, l i v i n dot org o r g. We'd love to help uh, you help us jump on board, support the cause. You know, get some merch. Hopefully, we're going to have something. Uh, started over here in the US sooner rather than later. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm getting there. I'm Let getting us help there. you. Yeah, absolutely. I want to move out here hopefully in the next, you know, six, 12 months and uh, get living going over here and then pursue my other my other passions. That's the goal, but it's going to take one day as it comes at the moment. Yeah, mm. it'll happen. Love that. Yeah, it will happen. It will happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it will. Absolutely. And how, and you guys, are, so you have the website, you're on Instagram, living. Yeah, living org. On Instagram. Okay, cool. 
what would you like to leave with our listeners just kind of as like a part of your purpose, your uh, mission? I think if you're ever in doubt, just reach out. I think mm. just reach out and don't make an impulsive decision based on your temporary mm-hmm. emotions because it can be life-changing and you can't take back suicide. It's not something you can just say, oh, we shouldn't do that. You're not going to be here to make that different choice, you know. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing that I've realized is the temporariness of emotions and kind of like my spiritual and my mental journey is realizing like that's what you really realize. You're like you feel there's just like an impermanence to how you feel. You know, if I have a bad day, I'm like, oh, well, it's just, I I can realize, I can bring myself to understanding that this is just today. I do my checklist. Okay, am I had enough water? Have I had enough silent time? Have I hugged someone today? You know, something like that. But really there's such an impermanence to how you feel and like letting, you know, your emotions ride out and trying to like ride those feelings to something like a brighter day or something that's better is like so important. Mm -hmm. So whatever can get you to understand that like nothing is ever the same, change is the only constant. Even if you feel super low and you feel like you want to take your life or you feel like there's never going to be a better day, there can be, you know, Yeah, absolutely. It is, it's very possible. And it's not possible if you're not here. Mm -hmm. So it's very possible. And they say there's a, they always say stay alive till you're 25, right? Mm-hmm. Because your prefrontal cortex, yes. part of your brain doesn't fully develop till you're 25. Yeah. yeah, so just stay strong. And yeah, if you're in doubt, reach out because in five, 10 years from now, you can live in silence and you can keep trying to be the hero and take on the challenges yourself. But mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot easier if you ask for help. Now, be proactive rather than reactive. Mm-hmm. That's what living's all about. I think as a last thing I was also thinking about too, I think in the United States for like the people that I've known in my life that I've had um, friends or family or or related to have like lost someone to suicide. I think that people really shy away from speaking about it. Like it's almost like it happens and shameful. they, and yeah, it's shameful, the shame with it. And they don't want to say it, you know, if they died some other way, maybe they wouldn't feel as like shameful to like admit it or talk about it. So I think that there's something to that. You know, everyone's, pain journey is different. Everyone's like grieving is different. And I know, you know, for the people that I've known that have taken their lives, like the grieving process and conversation process for me hasn't been super open. So I think there is something to being more open about um, someone's journey so that you can help identify those signs that they had and maybe, you know, help someone else. Definitely. And like when in doubt, reach out also applies to people Mm -hmm. who might feel like they should reach out to someone Mm -hmm. that maybe they haven't heard from in a while or yeah. they've and i think i think as humans like we feel we have that like inkling or that thought for a reason you know we're mm-hmm. we're bodies of energy you know so i don't think it's ever a coincidence that we're thinking of them or we feel that maybe we should reach out you should mm-hmm. yeah no matter Definitely. no matter if something's going on or not mm-hmm. Definitely and yeah and things do get better like yeah. In the moment, yeah. it should feel like they're not going to get better. That's it. But they do. It's mm-hmm. just simple as that. They yeah. do get better. You're like a prisoner though. Yeah. You know, you're just such like a prisoner. You're like literally like it's all just happening mm. right here and like nothing else is happening but like the prison that you're in, which is so hard. Yeah. And, I, and just lastly, I just want to add that we can make it sound easy because it's it's not. It's, yeah. it's easier said than done. And mm-hmm. for those of you who are going through 
some type of mental health challenge or know someone that's dealing with a mental illness, it's bloody hard. Yeah, it's, mm, so own that shit. Yeah, do. own that because it's tough and you have to be strong. You have to have courage. You have to be brave and all that sort of good stuff. So give yourself permission to know that what you're dealing with is super challenging and it's mm. not something that you can just click a finger and, and it's easy and you'll be sweet tomorrow mm. because it's not – if it was that easy, everyone would be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so know that your journey is your journey and, you know, it's strength in numbers always. Mm-hmm. And it's not shameful. You Never. know, it's not – there's no shame around feeling anxious or depressed or – bipolar or, you know, any of those things. So helping to remove that shame is also really helpful. And I just want to say too, um, you know, this conversation, we obviously don't, I just want to make it really crystal clear, you know, for any feedback or conversation that we have in following to this, that we don't know the answers. You know, everything that we say is coming from our specific perspective of our specific lives that we've lived and the situations, the cards that we've been dealt. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I look forward to like opening up the conversation with you guys in the Facebook group and kind of learning more about your struggles and how you guys have gotten through them and kind of just continuing this conversation about suicide, suicide prevention, mental health awareness, and really just um, hopefully providing a space for you guys to feel like you don't have to feel ashamed and that you feel like you're not alone and that there are people in the world that do care. They may not know you right now, but that do care about you and do care about your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very well said. Thanks. Very well said. Yeah. Thank you for being here. I know that our listeners will be changed mm-hmm. because of this and because of your work. And also to feel like, you know, they could find purpose in a similar type of work, whether it's through an organization or just interpersonally reaching out to people. So thank you for the work that you do. Mm-hmm. And you're not even 30 yet. I'm just like blown Crazy. away. Thank God you got here before. Uh, Thanks, God. Still almost. <laughs> almost 30. Nah, thank you very much, guys, for having me. Uh, very, very grateful to be on here. Thanks for your time. Keep up the great work. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in LA sooner rather than I later. I know. Yeah. It's coming. All right, guys. Thanks for subscribing, rating, and reviewing. And for joining our secret Facebook group. You definitely want to join the group. We're going to have um, some amazing conversations, I know, yep. following this episode. Let the girls in the group, you know, be there for you. They're there for everyone in the group. You know, there's over 3,000 of you that are there for each other every single day with your problems, issues, even to talk about light things. Mm. So um, join the group and come share. And come see us on tour. Um, so we're in the yes. middle of our tour right now. So please check out um, almost30podcast.com. tickets are left. Yeah, check it out. Go to um, the tour tab under events and we will see you in a city near you. We love you guys. Love you. Bye. Whew. How you guys feeling? How's it going? What's going on? Thanks for listening to that episode with us and Sam. It's livein.org. Uh, the hashtag is it ain't weak to speak. And we completely agree with that. So if you are having suicidal thoughts, speak out, talk to someone. I know it's hard, um, but there are people that are waiting for you, waiting to talk to you, waiting to help you. Yeah. Thank you so much to Sam for coming on the podcast. He was visiting from Australia Hopefully we'll be out there um, soon mm-hmm. and we can connect with them again. It's such a great organization. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to get involved, again, livein.org. And we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you think someone would benefit from listening to this episode or any other episodes, share with your friends. That's the number one reason why we grow. And it means so much. Um, tag us, message us, email us. We read every message. 
and get back to you. So please feel free to talk to us. All right. We love you guys. We'll see you on the road. We are on tour. Uh, Next up, we are in San Francisco. Sold out. Yeah, it's sold out. Sorry. Oops. Guys, it's sold out. Oh God. And I wish (laughs) wish it wasn't because we literally are like over capacity for the space. I know. I I honestly, I wish we had a bigger space, but we don't. Let's put it out there. Anyone last minute have a bigger Yeah, anyone last minute have an amphitheater <laughs> you could kind of borrow. Next up after SF is uh, Boston and New York in July. So stay tuned for that. That is about to sell out as well. So make sure you get your tickets. Sorry, don't mean to be real annoying about yeah. that and really obnoxious. I know. I, I feel like about to sell out is I'm such a ploy. It, I'm but it's it in a genuine way. It's more like, oh, I wish we had like it's an honestly, amphitheater. We just had to move our space in New York to be bigger. So. So yeah, it fits like 150, 200 people. Damn. Um, I don't yeah, even man. have that many friends, but I'm about to. I know, literally. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening uh, at Almost 30 Podcast on Instagram. Tag us, message us. We love you guys. So we love you. See you next week. Much. Bye.